Every five minutes, someone dies while waiting for a compatible donor heart, liver, or kidney. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists strive to engineer an animal with human-compatible organs, thereby saving millions of lives. But these ancestors are not the docile herd animals they envision. Instead, the project spawns something big, something evil, something hungry. Ancestor by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler is available for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Leviathan Chronicles Season 2 The story thus far. Senchen and Rebecca von Alt have found the Seraxian aliens, having infiltrated the Pierpont Museum and Library in Midtown Manhattan with former Black Door agents Whit Roberts and Jason Sterling, along with young Toshi Tanaka. The team accessed a special vault room containing stolen Leviathan technology that they used to determine the aliens' location in Africa. But the aliens have come to despise the immortals after having been imprisoned within Leviathan for over a thousand years. They lashed out at Rebecca when she used her psychic energy to locate them, creating a feedback loop in the tracking device's amplifier, causing an explosion of heat and energy to ricochet through the museum. The explosion disabled the measures Senshin had taken to make their presence in the museum unknown, and now the NYPD and the Emergency Services Unit are racing to the scene to apprehend the intruders inside one of New York's most prestigious institutions. Jeffrey Tully is also in New York City hunting for Toshi Tanaka to return him to his Yakuza father in Japan. The life of Oberlin St. Clair hangs in the balance. Tully has just seen the motorcade of police cars scream past him and has hailed a cab to follow them and investigate further. And now, Chapter 38, The Recovery. The skeleton box in the control room. It must have been deactivated. We're gonna have police presence here in minutes. Toshi, are you all right? I think so. 500 feet below the bedrock of Manhattan, deep under the foundations of the Pierpont Museum and Library, an unexpected explosion left the secret vault room decimated, knocking several members of the team to the floor. Chunks of wood and metal from shattered crates and overturned machinery were strewn throughout the chamber. Sincha, get us out of here, fast! Come on. Schematics show that once the museum's alarm is activated, all major systems are disconnected from the power grid. The elevator is steam-powered and is independent from the museum's infrastructure. It was around before this place even got turned into a museum. Let's hope it stayed that way. Come on, hurry! Wait, we need the tracking device. The Seraxians know we found them. If the aliens move locations, I might not be able to reacquire them. We need to take it with Rebecca, us. Rebecca, do you know how much that thing weighs? It contains starstone fragments within it. Stand back. I've got it. Jason Sterling approached the desk that the device sat on. He grabbed each side with his hands and bent his knees slightly before the tracking device shifted in the reinforced metal cavity that cradled it and rose off the table. Sterling's muscles swelled with strength and his face locked into a grimace as his skin color deepened to even a darker shade of crimson. It was a shocking display of raw strength and it left Senshin with an uneasy feeling in his stomach. Let's move. The five of them quickly boarded the steam elevator 
and felt the cab strain under the increased load. This thing needs to go faster. Look, it's lifting us at all. When the elevator arrived on the library level, flashing lights and alarm bells punctured the tranquility of the elegant mahogany-filled room that Pierpont Morgan had used as his personal office at the turn of the century. Rebecca, time since the alarm. Four minutes! There's a police precinct on 36th and 8th. They'll be here any second. It's too late. They're probably already blocked off Madison Avenue. Then we need to get out of here now. Come on! Rebecca, Sension and Wit sprinted to Gilbert Court, the glass and marble atrium that served as the entrance hall to the museum. Jason Sterling and Toshi followed behind, moving slower while carrying the heavy tracking device. It looks heavy. Can I help? For God's sake. If you... We have the museum surrounded. All our exits are blocked and the streets around the museum have been closed. You have no escape. Walk out of the museum now with your hands up or we will use deadly force. Fuck. Fuck. We have no way out of here. Are we going to be able to leave? Will the police get us? It's a problem with you mortals, always thinking two-dimensionally. Anjali, this is Sension. We need an extraction. Our presence has been detected and we have hostiles ready to move in at our position. I need you here now. I need you. Launch it. We're not going to last two minutes. Six New York City police officers burst into the museum with their pistols drawn. We're trapped. Buy us some time, Sension. Everyone, do as they say. Officers, we surrender. Do you hear me? Don't shoot. We surrender. We surrender. Hell we do. Get the hell back. Jason Sterling threw down the massive tracking device he had been holding and grabbed Toshi violently, wrapping his thick scarlet arm around Toshi's neck. Don't worry. You take another step and I'll snap the boy's neck. Come closer if you don't believe me. Now drop your weapons. Hold position! Get back! What the hell is that? All units, hold there! The ceiling of the glass atrium of Gilbert Court exploded three stories above the team, showering shards and glass fragments everywhere and sending the arresting police force scrambling for cover. A black wire basket descended on the thick cable and dropped down into the middle of the atrium. Get in! Toshi and Wood on the inside, Rebecca, Jason and I can hang on the outside. Above them hovered a silver quad tilt rotor aircraft with a gaping open cargo bay. A large X-shaped rotor array sat above a narrow triangular-shaped hull, vaguely resembling the hull of a cigarette speedboat. Enclosed hover fans sat on the ends of each arm of the X and were tilted downward to keep the aircraft in position as the rescue basket was lowered. Shit, look! As the NYPD uniformed officers ran back towards the entrance of the museum that was now fully lit by the flashing lights of police cars, three members of the Elite Emergency Services Unit of New York came sprinting in, carrying M4 carbine rifles and wearing protective overjackets. Sension exchanged a look with Jason Sterling, whose skin appeared to be growing even redder. Get in. I'll slow them down. Sterling swiftly rolled to his left, picking up the tracking device as he raced towards the incoming soldiers. What the hell is wrong with that guy? Jason charged at the invading SWAT team, letting their bullet fire ricochet off the device he held while other shots penetrated his legs and arms. This guy is not going down! Look out! Sterling swung the massive device like a club, smashing it into the helmeted head of the first officer, hurling him to the ground, limp and unconscious. The other remaining two members of the SWAT team opened fire at Jason. He quickly took cover behind one of the thick marble columns in the atrium, feeling pieces of it explode and pop off next to the nubs that used to be his ears. As the SWAT team leader raced to find cover, Jason Sterling spun to his left and hurled the tracking device into the man's sternum. With a 
force so strong that the room echoed with the impact. He picked up the soldier's M4 rifle by its strap and slung it over his shoulder while retrieving the tracking device. Sterling stopped to stare at the remaining man and growled like a feral animal. The museum entrance exploded into a frenzy as 20 uniformed officers of the NYPD steamed inside, heading towards Sterling. Jason, fall back! Jason, get back here! We're leaving! Jason sprinted back towards the basket that was now rising over 15 feet above the floor of the atrium. Ten feet away stood a small wooden information stand filled with pamphlets about the museum's new collection of 16th century Florentine drawings. Chunks of the information stand shattered as a barrage of bullets was fired behind Jason. In one jump, he bounded to the top of the stand and leapt, arms outstretched towards the basket that was rapidly rising upwards. Jason. His right hand grazed the side of the metal basket, slipping past it, but his left hand held firm. He gripped the basket tightly, causing it to swing wildly from side to side. More bullets rang out around them, but by now the basket had almost completely exited the museum through the open roof. Anjali, we're all in. Get us out of here. Anjali gave the main rotors more power to compensate for the increased payload now weighing down her ship. Shots rang left and right around the basket, many of them striking Jason Sterling. The tracking device took up a good portion of the basket, in addition to Rebecca, Senshin and Wit piled together and pushing against Toshi. His tiny hands slipped between the bodies, finding Jason Sterling's clenched fist around the bar of the rescue basket. Toshi closed his eyes tightly. Don't let go. The metal basket quickly rose upward as Anjali retracted the cable into the cargo bay, while also bringing the hover fans to full throttle, lifting the rotorcraft upwards several stories above the museum, clearing the atrium. Whit Roberts looked up and was astonished by the streamlined helicopter and the four articulated rotors at the end of each of the wings. What the hell is that? It's called Moonblade. And it's our ticket out of here. Toshi, hold on tightly. Cool. We have massive police presence, Sension. All precincts in Manhattan are on high alert. Head towards water. We can outrun anything they throw at us. Not with this weight load, Sension. I'm not sure what the hell you picked up in the vault, but we're 20% over our operational load capacity. We are not going fast and we are not going high. Our position is too visible from the air. Okay, okay, Rebecca's right. We need to stay low. Stay between the buildings. Head north. Are you crazy? It's too tight. The blades will cut into the buildings. Not on Park Avenue. Head right on 40th. Get us onto Park Avenue and then head north. I'm not a fucking town. Two police helicopters just took off from Floyd Bennett Field in Brooklyn. Shit, that cuts off the East River. Why water? Because we're immortal. Water is the one place we can always hide. Why? You have a submarine that's gonna whisk us away underwater? You'd be surprised. Rebecca, get me a line of Sutton Manor. On it. Alexander, Alexander, this is Ascension. We don't have much time. Meet us at the Cloisters. Do you read? We need to put in at the Cloisters at Fort Triumph Park at the tip of Manhattan. Jesus, look at the rear monitor. Ascension, Whit Roberts, and Rebecca looked at one of the cockpit monitors and saw the flashing motorcade of five NYPD police cars in close pursuit of the Moonblade. Looking ahead out of the cockpit window, they could see other police vehicles blocking off traffic to Park Avenue, one of the widest streets in Manhattan. Fuck, we're letting up the entire city. It's hard to hold it steady. We won't be able to put down with all these cops in pursuit. All right, we need to gain altitude. If we can get above the buildings, the patrol cars won't be able to track us as easily. You don't think I'm trying? The controls are too sluggish with this much weight. Rebecca, can we lose the tracking device? Not unless you want to lose the aliens. Then the answer is no. Back in the rear of the Moonblade, Jason Sterling sat slumped against the hull of the aircraft. 
He was bleeding from multiple wounds on his shoulder and chest and legs. A blackish, crusty residue surrounded the bullet holes and seemed to be filling them. Toshi stood beside him wordlessly. Well, don't just stand there. Get me. Get me some water. Toshi opened one of the storage bins and handed Jason a small bottle of water. Thank you. Uh, are you okay? Toshi nodded his head. Good. Good. Toshi continued to stand next to Jason silently and soon handed him another bottle of water. Why isn't your blood red? I, I don't know. It's different now. Does it hurt? No. No, it doesn't. I just feel tired. Very tired. They can sense us, you know. They know we're getting close. I can almost hear them. It makes me... Makes me... It's okay. Heal. A small pool of black liquid had formed on the floor beside Sterling and was seeping onto Toshi's sneaker. Toshi looked into Sterling's crimson eyes that no longer held any trace of his pupils. He placed his small hands on Jason's cheeks. Yes, I... I... I can smell the rotting earth now. It's everywhere here. Ah. Your name was Jason Sterling. Do you still remember that? You are the only one. Yes. Yes, it's just me. Just me. You need to be strong to protect us. You need to protect me. I will, Toshi. I will. I don't want to go back to my father. He only wants to... What the hell was that? Something hit us. What? Jolly. Hold on! The Moonblade dove sharply, falling almost a hundred feet, as the nose of the craft was suddenly thrust downwards towards the curb of Park Avenue. What do you mean something hit us? What the hell hit us? One hundred feet above, McCallan turned to Anton. I think that'll get their attention. Take out one of the rotors. There's no goddamn room to maneuver. Ah, always hated New York. No room to walk on the damn streets. Damn, hippies everywhere. Oh, come on, Eddie. You can do it. It's her. She's on that aircraft below us. I can feel her. It's the Countess. Then Sension and Black Door must be with her. The Albatross flew 20 feet above the Moonblade with its wings perilously close to the luxurious brick and limestone residences that lined Park Avenue. The speed of the aircraft was greater than the tilt rotor ship and Henderson gently pulled on the flaps. Careful you don't overshoot. Damn it, don't tell me how to bomb a plane. We can't go any slower. We're approaching stall speed as it is and this ain't some... Damn helicopter hovercraft bullshit! Eloquently said. They're cutting left! Damn it! We lost them! Central Park. They're heading towards Central Park. Bank left at the armory and we can catch them. We could bring them down safely there. The park should be pretty empty this time of night. McAllen turned to the rear of the cockpit and shouted back to the cargo hold of the Albatross. Watson, are you ready? Military Underchief Keitha Watson stood next to her Darkwater force in the cargo bay of the Albatross beside the modified Zephyr craft that had been docked within the belly of the plane. She nodded to Gregor Aginsky, who opened the cargo bay hatch, <laughs> allowing the air outside to rush into the cabin, creating a cacophony of engine roar and wind. Are we ready, Gregor? The grappling hooks are ready, man! We're ready, McCallan. You just get our team in range and we'll bring the bird down. Bank left and then head straight along 79th Street. Follow them over Central Park. <laughs> you sure like threading the needle, don't you, Missy? Well, hold on to your hula skirts. 
The Albatross strained to simultaneously bank left and maintain altitude, causing the engines to groan under the strain. Underneath the plane, the paved asphalt of New York City soon gave way to the rolling green lawn of Sheep's Meadow in Central Park. In the darkness, the lamppost-lined walkways resembled narrow glowing veins as they stretched across the length of the pitch-black park. The Moonblade was now within their sights, less than a mile southwest near Columbus Circle. There they are. Henderson, take us straight for them. If we can't force them down, then I want to climb as soon as we shoot past them. And then I guess we get to see how good Keith's aim is. The Moonblade struggled under the burden of its excessive weight, while the Albatross wrestled to stay above its stall speed. The Albatross banked left again, making a beeline for the Moonblade as the two aircraft headed on a collision course with each other. In the climate-ravaged world of 2072, the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven. Pura is a geoengineered paradise that protects its fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. In a time when the world outside is unsafe, it's vital for Pura's existence that people rally behind the purpose of the city, and Demetria Lopez, head of the city's public relations, tirelessly promotes its idyllic image. But when she stumbles on a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Pura's existence, she must decide who and what she's willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Ray Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world. That ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Back on the ground in Midtown, Captain Jeffrey Tully's taxi cab had ground to a halt. What? What are you doing? You stopped. You gotta go around. No go around. Everything blocked off. Well, I'm kind of in a hurry, pal. No hurry, boss. Too much traffic. No. No. Seriously. You gotta run some red lights here or something. Can't you just... No, no. I get ticky. It's very bad. No. Screw the ticket. I'll pay it for you. I'll even... Listen, this is a matter of... Shit. You're not gonna believe anything I tell you. Hey, look. Here's a hundred bucks. No, wait. Two hundred bucks. <laughs> what the hell was that? Helicopters out of control. That... Looked a whole lot like my next ride. Come on, step on it. We gotta follow that helicopter. It's heading towards the museum. No going bus line. Too many cops. Relax. Tully sat back in the rear of the cab and punched the side of the door in frustration. Ah! No break my cab. You relax or you get out. You get out now. Tully fumed in frustration, but then calmly leaned towards the plexiglass divider between him and the driver. Hey, I um, I just want to apologize. You know, I'm I haven't eaten all day and I'm just starving. You know, I'm I'm really hungry. No break my cab. No, no, I'm a lot better now. But um, maybe you can help me out. I really gotta get something to eat. You know, it's making me edgy. The taxi driver stared suspiciously at Tully through his rearview mirror. Look, I just gotta get a little something to eat. I'm really hungry here, man. No break my cab. No, no, no more cab breaking, but you gotta help me out. You see that food cart over there? Tully pointed to an aluminum-sided hot dog cart with a blue and gold subret umbrella stationed just across the street on Madison Avenue. 
He reached into his pants pockets and removed a substantial wad of cash from his juicy sweatpants. I'll tell you what, I am a very rich and powerful man. I'll give you $1,000 to get me a hot dog from that cart over there. The bug-eyed taxi driver stared at Tully. I'm serious. I'm really hungry. Like, I might actually chew on the armrest of your cab if I don't get something soon. I'll break my cab. Okay, but would you run across the street and get a hot dog for me? I'll give you the money. You get hot dog. No, no. You go outside and you get me a hot dog from that stand across the street. Here, I'm giving you... One thousand, no, wait, one thousand and two dollars, get yourself a hot dog too. And I'll wait here in the cab, relaxing. Seriously, one hot dog. The taxi driver was anxiously confused and quickly counted the bills that Tully had hastily thrown on his front seat, examining them by the light of his dashboard. Okay, you wait here, you want hot dog? Yeah, that's right, onions and ketchup, no mustard. Makes me gassy. The taxi driver stared suspiciously at Tully before opening his door and walking across the street to the hot dog cart. This turned out to be one expensive camp. As soon as the taxi driver had fully crossed the street, Tully jumped into the driver's seat and slammed the car into gear, peeling down Madison Avenue, leaving the taxi driver chasing him, holding two dripping hot dogs in his hands. He quickly made a left turn on 36th Street, trying to get to the Pierpoint Morgan Library. Tully stuck his head out of the window and was searching the skies urgently for the unusual helicopter that had passed overhead. Tully slammed his foot on the gas pedal and jumped the curb, sending pedestrians scrambling for cover. His taxi made a hard right off Vanderbilt Avenue and raced to get to Park Avenue before running into a uniformed police officer erecting a barricade to the street. Hey, where do you think you're going, pal? The street's blocked off. Police emergency. I gotta get a pregnant woman to the hospital. It's an emergency. You gotta let me through. What are you talking about? Your cab's empty. Yeah, I'm picking her up. Her water just broke all over Park Avenue. You know how these women are. You gotta be kidding me. Okay, what's your medallion number, buddy? Step out of the- Getting called in. Elevated threat from Homeland. Get over here, now! A second police officer called the first one back to the police patrol car where he was sitting. Tully seized his chance. He swerved the taxi onto Park Avenue and accelerated quickly to catch the aircraft that was now heading north up the wide boulevard. Jesus Christ! Suddenly, a larger seaplane bore down on the quadrotor aircraft, ramming into the cockpit from above, forcing it to dive down and skim the top of the traffic light sending it crashing to the pavement. Holy shit! Tully veered the taxi right, just missing the falling traffic light. Okay, that has got to be the Leviathan. I've never seen two aircraft do that, not even at LaGuardia Airport. Either Toshi is on one of those planes, or someone else who knows where I can find it. Come on, this piece of junk has got to go faster. The tilt rotor pulled up hard, causing the chasing airplane to overshoot past it. The more maneuverable helicopter banked left and started heading towards Central Park. The park? Man, I really hope this thing has four-wheel drive. Whatever that plane is, it's heading right for us. It can't be NYPD. You want to play chicken with us. I'm jolly, can we lose them? I'm trying, Sension. I'm going to take us north towards the reservoir, but this ship is too damn heavy for any fancy flying. It's okay. We can outmaneuver them. If we get low near the bridle path, they won't be able to get a clean vector on them. They're getting close. The albatross roared at the moonblade, seemingly on a collision course. At the last moment... I'm taking us down! Anjali took her ship into a steep dive over the New York City reservoir and brought her ship to a hover just feet of the surface of the frothing water. They flew past us, but they're coming around. We have another problem. Another problem? NYPD choppers just made visual contact. They've identified us as a terrorist threat. Two F-15s just scrambled from Westfield, Connecticut. Be here in minutes. Shit! We can't waste any more time. I'm trying to evade who's ever taking us down. Ajali, take us straight for the cloisters. Use whatever we've got. Punching it. 
The cloisters were a four-acre garden and museum located on Manhattan's northernmost tip along the Hudson River. Built in the style of a medieval abbey, the museum was located with the larger Fort Tryon Park in Washington Heights beside the George Washington Bridge. I'm getting a landing beacon from Alexander. He's holding at Inwood Hill Park near the cloisters. Good thinking, Alexander. Why there? It's the last untouched forest in Manhattan. The Parks Department decided to let it remain wild. No paths, no roads. And no way for the patrol cars to follow when we land. Exactly. Anjali, what's up? Shit! We've been hit! Left outer rotor is shutting down! Hit by what? We're hit again! Right outer rotor is shutting down! I can't hold altitude tension! We're going down! Dump everything! With you, Jason, Rebecca, throw everything overboard, starting with the tracking device. No, Sension, without the tracking device, we might not be able to reacquire the aliens. If we can't... We're about to crash into the Hudson River. If we don't lighten our load, there's not going to be anything left of you to find the damn aliens. Come on, help me. The moon blade veered out of control over northern Manhattan. Anjali's hands flew furiously across the controls, trying to stabilize the craft, as its two primary engines started to break apart and fail. In the cargo hold, Wits, Jason, and Rebecca were urgently throwing everything overboard that wasn't tied or bolted down. Sterling picked up the massive tracking device and approached the lip of the landing ramp. Do it! We need to drop weight. It's the only way! Jason. Sterling looked outside and could see the ground rapidly approaching. Do it! His wide arms darkened with redness as he heaved the tracking device out of the open hatch doors and watched it glisten as it tumbled into the dark night sky before smashing into the rocks of Fort Tryon Park. You better be right, Rebecca. Rebecca stared back at Whip Roberts, but they both instantly knew she was right. The Moonblade's momentum shifted violently as it arrested its rapid descent and lifted upwards slightly. Anjali lost control of the inner stabilizing hover fan, forcing the Moonblade down and crashing it along the rocks on the shoreline of the cloisters. Direct hit, man! They're going down! McCallum, they're going down! Bring us on to final approach. Heard that. Let's bring this goddamn bird down on the water before we crash into one of these damn fancy high-rises all over the goddamn place. The albatross veered further left and started descending quickly towards the inky waters of the Hudson. The plane slammed down on the water hard, rising quickly again before Henderson Riverstone forced his plane down again and reversed the engines to reduce their momentum even further. The albatross skidded on the uneven surface of the water before Henderson brought the plane around hard and beached the nose of the craft on the shoreline of Fort Tryon Park, under the shadows of the Cloisters Museum, 200 yards from the crash site of the Moonblade. Get the hell off my bird and make this quick! We got most of the law enforcement in the free world about to come down on us like a goddamn sledgehammer! Everyone out! We want them alive! If they know where the aliens are, we need to capture them alive! Robertson, lay down any cover fires we deploy. Ruginski, you're with me to set up a perimeter along the high ground by those rocks. Go! Roginski removed a night vision monocle from his utility belt as they ducked behind an outcropping. Other chief, look! At the shoreline! It's the Countess! It's her! I told you I sensed her! How many in the party? I'm seeing an Indian woman walking beside her, also a male, Caucasian, walking with limp, all unarmed. And wait! I think I see one more. Who else? What are you seeing, Gregor? You should see this, Under Chief. Gregor handed the monocle to Keitha, watching her body stiffen in anger. Sension. You fucking murderous traitor! Hunter Chief, the councilwoman said to take them alive! Fuck the councilwoman. That man is responsible for the death of thousands of our people. He needs to be executed. If we kill him and can't find the Starstone, then we may be the ones killing thousands more. 
Keitha glared at him, but understood the logic to his words. You take the right flank, I'll take the left. Descend along the ridge line. No sound. Gregor nodded, and both he and his underchief stealthily crawled downwards towards the waterline where their targets were looking. Senshin, Anjali, Rebecca, and Whit Roberts were all scanning the surface of the water urgently, not sensing the approaching strike force. Stop, Senshin! Stop where you are, and don't you move another fucking inch! Keitha Watson, it's been a long time. Not long enough, you murderer. Get on your knees right now! Everyone, on their knees! It's okay. Listen to her. What is it you want, Keitha? We're not hunting you. Oh, but I'm the one hunting you, Senshin, for the last 70 years. Where are the aliens, Senshin? I know you know about them. What is their location? Or so help me by the goddess Don't old... tell her! If you... Shut your damn mouth right now! Senshin! Keitha spun to her right just in time to watch Gregor Aginsky's head explode in a burst of blood and bone. Gregor! She ran to his side, holding his limp body that had collapsed to the ground, and was able to see a submersible 50 yards out on the river rise to the surface. Alexander's upper body protruded out of the contower deck as he held a smoking H&K MP7 assault rifle. Get in quickly! Hurry! Police are going to be everywhere! We need to get back underwater! Senshin, Wit, Rebecca, and Anjali sprinted to the waterline to board the loading ramp that extended from the submarine to the shore. No! 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 Keitha Watson unsheathed her Colt subcompact rifle and clenched her finger, forcing the weapon to discharge over 50 rounds in 10 seconds, spraying the waterline with bullets and causing shots to ricochet off the hull of the submarine. Senshin dove into the open hatch of the sub and grabbed Rebecca and Wit, violently throwing them inside to get them out of Keitha's line of fire. Anjali had almost reached the loading ramp of the sub when... Anjali collapsed into the shallow shoreline of Tryon Park. Blood poured from the multiple entry points on her back and she looked at Senshin with fear and horrible realization that she now faced the last few seconds of her life. Senshin grabbed the assault rifle from Alexander and quickly returned fire on Keitha. But she had already retreated to a defensive position. He knelt in the dirty river water picking Anjali up in his arms and cradling her back into the safety of the sub. No. No, you have to fight, please. You have to hold on. We can save you. I I know what to do. I can save you. Please, just, just hold on. Anjali now lay prone against the cold hull of the submarine. Wit and Rebecca looked on sadly as he cradled her head in his lap. She reached up faintly to touch Senshin's cheek. You can't save us all, Senshin. You can only save yourself. Not yet, Anjali. Please, don't leave. I need you. I need you. I... But it was too late. I... Anjali's life gently faded away in Senshin's arms as her heart slowed, then stopped. And her last breath came short and fast before she fell completely still. Oh, no. A quarter mile away in the furthest section of the park, another showdown was taking place. McCallan, come on! The crash site is just beyond those rocks! Anton raced towards the light coming from a small fire that had erupted from the Moonblade's mangled hull, which now lay less than a hundred yards away in a dense crowd of trees near the water. He removed and cocked his multi-chambered dart gun while running. Remember, we want them alive! I know, but if they even so much... <laughs> McCallan suddenly felt the temperature in her body explode in a wave of heat as all of her breath left her body. She collapsed to her knees before Anton rushed over to her. McCallan, are you okay? McCallan, what's wrong? Are you hit? No, I'm... I'm okay. I'm... Oh my god, Anton, can you feel it? Can you feel it close I, by? I'm not sure. Uh, 
What is it? What a are you- A star stone! Oh, it's here, Anton! My god! Help me! Over there by the trees! Alan, I I've got you. Put your hand on my shoulder. Come on. There! It's over there, Anton! McAllen and Anton leaned on each other as they hurried to a thick wooded section of the park, 50 yards from the crash site beside one of the pathways. She could feel the starstone penetrate her with its illumination, and her consciousness urgently latched onto it. McAllen's hands eagerly dove into the scattered leaves and dirt beside a red oak tree. Anton fell to the ground next to her, grasping through the underbush. It's here! I know it's here! I can feel it too! It's close by it! Come on, come on, come on! I can feel something hot near! <laughs> Right here! We found it, Anton! We found a star stone! And we did it! We found a star stone! We did it, McAllen! We did it! We did it! My god, I couldn't have done it without you, Anton. You stuck by my side the entire time. I... I... Well, don't worry. I don't plan on going anywhere. And this time, it was Anton who leaned in closely to touch the side of McAllen's face and pull her lips into his. He wrapped his arms around her back and held her tightly, feeling her push deliciously into his body. Oh, Anton. Oh, McKellen. You know that. Jason Sterling exploded from behind a series of trees that lay just above the ridgeline. He ambushed McKellen, smashing his body into hers while his thick fingers reached for Anton. McKellen was thrown to the ground hard, but saw Anton leap to the side just in time to land a hard kick into Sterling's abdomen. Anton screamed in pain as his legs felt like they were striking hard stone. He scrambled to get up, but Sterling had already spun around and launched his fist into Anton's chest, sending Anton sprawling backwards several feet. You were the one! that imprisoned them, you are the ones that would destroy everything. The world would be a better place with your kind exterminated. Jason Sterling brought his foot back, about to unload it into the side of Anton's head, when McCallum picked up the dark gun that Anton had dropped. I can see a pretty great future for the world, and you're not in it. McCallum fired a burst of rounds from Anton's dark gun, landing a barrage of nerve paralysis darts that embedded a thick row along Sterling's neck. He roughly brushed his hand across his skin, ripping half of the embedded needles out. He turned away from Anton to face McCallum. You! You're the one giving them hope. You're the loose thread I've been looking to kill, Ms. McCallum or so. Images of Anton's brother Othello being killed by the enforcers on the streets of Mumbai filled his mind with fury and rage. He launched himself at Sterling, but the oversized man deflected the attack, again sending Anton sprawling to the ground. No, please! Jason Sterling's hand shot out to grip McCallum by the neck, holding her tightly at arm's length, lifting her off the ground while his other hand held the M4 automatic rifle pointing directly at Anton's face. You take another step and Ms. McCallum also is gonna need a machine to breathe for the rest of her life. Maybe you'd like to tell me the location of Sutton Manor, and I'll think about releasing I'm warning you, let her go now! When the New World Order begins, I'll make sure that every immortal vermin like you gets to know what it's like to live in a cage for a thousand years. Say goodbye to your little girlfriend. Suddenly, a yellow taxicab sailed off the inner park driveway and headed straight for Jason Sterling, <laughs> launching him 70 feet backward into the Hudson River. McCallum collapsed to the ground where Sterling had been strangling her and wearily turned her head to see the demon screaming in agony as the filthy water burned his irradiated skin. He flailed in the river as the Hudson pulled him deeper underwater. McCallum! Anton rushed to her side and held her tightly in his arms while Toshi screamed uncontrollably. No! No! You have to save him! No! No! 
McCallum pulled the young boy into their embrace as the three of them both stared at the river. Just as it looked like Sterling would drown in the murky water of the Hudson, the submarine piloted by Alexander rushed urgently to retrieve him. Sension leaned over the railing secured by a thick cable and pulled Sterling into the open hatch of the sub where Witt and Rebecca quickly covered him in towels as the ship prepared to descend below the surface of the Hudson. Sension's body stiffened with betrayal as he looked out to the waterline of Tryon Park and was astonished by the treachery he witnessed. Anton. Back in Fort Tryon Park, Tully unbuckled his seatbelt and tore open the driver door on his taxicab and ran towards McAllen. McAllen! McAllen! My God, it's really you! Tully? McAllen ran up to Tully, who stood beside the cab, smiling widely with his arms outstretched. She hurried to get close to him before reeling back her fist and punching him hard across the mouth. Oh. Oh. Jesus! What the hell? Fucking bastard! You left me to die back in Leviathan! You just- McAllen reared back to take another swing at Tully, but Anton held her fist firmly. What are you talking about? I just saved your life from- Under Chief Keitha Watson and Robertson ran over to join Anton, McAllen, and Tully, near the albatross where Henderson Riverstone stood beside his plane. Are you guys alright? Were you able to- Wait. Where's Gregor? Robertson and Keitha Watson exchanged a mournful look and then told the rest of the group how Gregor had bravely tried to stop Sension and his team from escaping before being assassinated. He was a brave, smart man. I hope it was worth it, McKellen. It was. We found a starstone, Keitha. We could save Gregor. Where is he? We could heal us. Keitha held up her hand. His injuries aren't healable. He's gone, McKellen. Oh, I am. I am so, so sorry, Keitha. Oh, they can't replace him or do justice to his bravery on this mission, but we found a star stone, Keitha. We did it. We can save Leviathan. Guys, do you hear that? Police helicopters are searching everywhere for us. They've got searchlights and are scanning the park. We need to get hidden fast. McAllen, you and your team need to get the hell out of here. I'll distract the goddamn choppers and lead the air support out to sea. You get your damn ass out of here. They don't know how many people were in the Albatross, so they won't be looking for you if they're chasing me. Now you need to go and get that goddamn Starstone back to Leviathan. But Henderson, how will you- Just go, McAllen! Ah, you're being a- Goddamn pain in the ass! Without giving McAllen a chance to respond, Henderson Riverstone turned and walked to the water's edge and quickly climbed into the nose of the albatross. Goddamn it, will you just get? Those goddamn police will be here any second! Henderson opened the hatch on the roof of his plane and deftly slipped into the cockpit, quickly reversing the engines and pulling the albatross off the rocky shoreline. He then spooled up the engines for takeoff, backing the plane out into the main channel, and after applying full throttle, slowly lifted the albatross off the Hudson River. The police choppers. They're following him. Yeah, but I can still hear some patrol cars coming this way. We need to get out of here quick. Come on! Who's the boy? My name's Toshi. Toshi? Your name is Toshi? Toshi Tanaka? The little boy nodded sadly. Hey, Toshi. It's okay. I'm a friend of your dad's. I've been looking all over for you, and I'm gonna take you home. No! No! I don't wanna go! I don't wanna go! don't have time for this. The police will be here any second. He's right. We gotta get out of here. Come on. Everybody jump in the cab. There'll be room if we all squeeze. Come on. The entrance to the West Side Highway is just a few blocks away. Once we get on, we can blend in with the rest of the traffic. And after grabbing the Starstone, the team sat wordlessly in their yellow taxi as it quickly left the park and blended in with the rest of the cabs and buses that looked to be taking the early shift of New Yorkers to their jobs downtown, where they would begin another typical day of work.
You have been listening to The Leviathan Chronicles. The Leviathan Chronicles was written and created by Christoph Lepupka, produced by Robin Shaw, produced and musical composition by Luke Allen, directed by Nobi Nakanishi. For a full list of cast and crew, or to purchase the ad-free director's cut, go to leviathanchronicles.com. Thank you for supporting us, and thank you for listening. To discover more podcasts set in the Leviathan universe, go to leviathanaudioproductions.com or follow us on Facebook or Twitter. Leviathan Audio Production. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it. Or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.